Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. I'm one of the pastors at Trinity. You probably know this, but if you don't, Trinity Galewood is part of a larger church body. We have four different locations. We call it Trinity. And uh, I get to be pastor at um, all four of those spaces, really. I get to move around. If you're a regular here at Trinity Galewood, you know that uh, the pastor this morning looks a lot older and not nearly as cool as the normal pastor which is uh, Pastor Dave. No, Dave and his family, Dave and Gretchen and the kids, are, they're down in St. Louis this weekend. He has a wedding he's doing down there. So, uh, so I get to fill in today. So would you bow your heads and would you pray together with me? Lord God, I pray that the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think as we meditate on your word uh, this morning, Lord, I, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O oh God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer and who looks at us and tells us to go. Amen. So one of my favorite Christian authors is this guy named Max Lucado, and in one of his books, he tells the story um, about when he took his daughter to her first day of school. Now, for her, that was kindergarten. This was back in the day before early childhood and preschool and stuff like that. And so, so he's taking his little daughter to her first day of school, her first day of kindergarten, and this is something that she had looked forward to all summer. In fact, for about a month now, every morning she'd get up and she'd say, is today the day I get to go to school? And uh, it had been about three weeks since they had picked out her outfit that was, she was going to wear on her first day of school. And, uh, and uh, as the day got closer, she got more and more excited. She just couldn't wait to go to her first day of school. Uh, but Max wrote in the book that the closer they, that day got, the worse he felt. You see, that, that, that first day of school, he knew, was kind of a, kind of a, a, a big change in their life. And, you know, up until this point, uh, been just his little girl and, and, and mom and dad at home. And, and now this first day of school was kind of like the beginning of something that was going to go, he knew all too fast. And it was going to be just like, you know, like that before all of a sudden she was heading off to high school. And then all of a sudden she was going to be heading off to college. He was going to be dropping her off her first day of college. And then all of a sudden he was going to be helping her move into her first apartment and walking her down the aisle and all that kind of stuff. And so he was dreading her first day of school. And then finally, that day finally came, and uh, she got up that morning. She was up like an hour before she normally was, and she was dressed and sitting at the, at the breakfast table just waiting. She's going, I'm going to school today. She was so excited. And, uh, and every time she said, I'm going to school today, his heart sank just a little bit more. Well, finally, it was time. So he loaded her into the back of the car. And, uh, and he's driving, he's taking her to her first day of school, and she's just kicking her little shoes in the back, going, I'm going to school today, I'm going to school today. And he wrote just, like every time she said that, his heart just dropped a little more. And finally, they, they pulled up in front of the school, and all of a sudden, her attitude like changed dramatically, and the reality that she was going to get out of the car and go into school hit her, and all of a sudden, she was scared. And she started to cry. And, uh, and he wrote about how he walked around in the car and he opened that back door and there she is. Now she's just a puddle of tears in the back seat. And she looked at him and, and with this, this, this beautiful look on her face, she looked and said, Daddy, don't make me go to school. And uh, at that moment he said, every fiber of his being wanted to do this. Take her in his arms and go, 
that's okay, honey, you don't have to go to school. Not only do you not have to go to school today, but you never have to go to school. In fact, you can spend every day for the rest of your life at home with me and mommy. That's what he wanted to do. But of course, he knew he couldn't do that, right? And so he did what he said was the hardest thing that he had ever had to do. He took her by the hand, and he led her into that classroom. And even though she was still crying, he left her there, and he turned, and he walked out. Now, here's why I'm telling you that story this morning. As he was driving home, he said something occurred to him. He said if it was so hard for him to leave his daughter in this kindergarten classroom, a, a school, by the way, that they had researched fully, and they knew it was a school with great safety protocols and a wonderful teacher who was going to take just great care of his daughter. He said if it was so hard for him to leave his daughter there in that classroom, he thought, how hard must it have been for our Heavenly Father to send his son into this world where he knew, by the way, he was not going to be well taken care of. He, he was going to be beaten and mocked and crucified and betrayed. He said, if it was so hard for him to, to leave his little girl in that school, how hard must it have been for our Heavenly Father to look at his son and say, it's time for you to go. Now, this is the going week in the Red Letter Challenge. Does that change? Oh, it did. Cool. All right. This is the going week in the Red Letter Challenge. We've, we've been looking at all these other words of Jesus. And um, as Eric said before, we've been studying those words of Jesus. We've been learning about what those words of Jesus mean for us, right? We've been asking ourselves the question, what would happen if we actually did the things that Jesus told us to do? If we actually lived the way Jesus said was the right way to live, what would our lives be like? And we've looked at things like just being with God and how first and foremost it starts by just being with a God that loves us. And, and then we looked at what it means to serve and to forgive and to give. But this last week, Jesus is going to tell us something. He's going to tell us to go. Now, by the way, I, I love that Max Lucado story, but, but I always take it a little step further. I always try to imagine what was that conversation actually like between God the Father and God the Son when God the Father looked at his son and he said, you know what's going to have to happen to, to fix this? to fix our creation, to fix uh, this universe that we made that is now uh, marred by sin and by death, you know what's going to have to happen to fix that? You're going to have to go. And what was it like for Jesus to say, all right, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll leave the joys of heaven and all that goes with that, and I'll become a human being, and I'll go all the way to the cross and to the tomb. Jesus said, I'll go. And then at one point, Jesus looked at his disciples, and he said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I'm telling you now to go, Jesus said. And in our readings today, we heard a couple of specific times right before Jesus ascended into heaven that, that he looked at his disciples, and he said, now I want you to go and make disciples. See, being a disciple means that disciples make disciples. He says, I want you to go. And then he said, you are going to be my witnesses. And not just here, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, he said, I want you to go. 
So this morning, as we're kind of getting near the end of the Red Letter Challenge, this last set of Jesus' commands and words for us and wisdom for us, we're going to look at this idea of what it means to be people that are always looking to go. Now, I imagine if, uh, if your boss or your parents or your professor or whoever that is looked at you tomorrow morning and said, hey, I, I need you to go somewhere, I have a trip for you, you might have three questions. And I'm guessing your questions would be, well, where am I going? Uh, you'd probably want to know, how, how am I going to go? How am I going to get there? What am I supposed to do when I get there? And, and then finally, you'd probably want to know why, right? Why, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to go? So that's what I want to spend the rest of this time in the message. We should looking at those three questions. Jesus tells us to go where, how, and why. So let's start with Where? Um, when I was a kid uh, in Sunday school and in vacation Bible school and at camp, uh, somebody taught us this song, Please Don't Send Me to Africa. Have you ever sung that song when you were a kid? I'm the only one, all right? No, seriously, there was this song that I was taught, um, and it was like, it, it went like, please don't send me to Africa. It's like, God, you can send me anywhere, just not Africa, okay? Now, I don't know where that particular song came from, but that was kind of like when I was a kid, kind of the stereotypical missionary thing. You would become a missionary, which meant you were going to go off to Africa uh, to share the good news of Jesus. Now, now, by the way, interestingly enough, there are more Lutherans in Africa today than there are in the United States. And actually, I was out in Portland this week, and uh, one of the uh, guys I was talking to, one of the pastors I was talking to there is, he said that they have a bunch of missionaries from Africa that were in the Portland area trying to show the good news of Jesus. So I don't know, maybe those kids saying, please don't send me to America growing up or something like that. I don't know. But, uh, but, but don't we have a tendency to think, when we're, when we're thinking about what it means to go and be a missionary, or go and share the good news about Jesus, we instantly go to this idea that God is going to send us to some foreign land far, far away. And you know what? Sometimes God does. I, one of my favorite stories about that is there's this Mennonite congregation, and they had, uh, they had an orphanage that they had worked and to build together down in Central America. And at one point, the pastor and the board of elders decided it was time that they needed to send a family from their congregation to go live for a year down in that orphanage. And, uh, and so it was on a Saturday morning that the pastor and one of the elders went, went door to door among their congregation uh, to 12 different families that they had identified and said, we think God may be telling you to go live in Central America at our orphanage for a year. And uh, will you do it if God tells you to go? Now, what are you going to say to that, right? Nope, if God tells me, I'm not going. So the, the families all said yes. And, and then that Sunday morning when they came to worship, there was a table up in the front, and there were 12 Bibles sitting on that table. And the pastor told them, one of these Bibles has a card in it with one word on it. It says, go. And uh, at one point later in the service, we're all going to pray, and then I'm going to ask the head of every one of your 12 households uh, to come up here and just take a Bible and sit down, and then we're going to open those. We're going to see which one of you families God has chosen. This is a true story. And, uh, and in fact, the guy that wrote the story was the guy whose family got the go word in the Bible, and he says he still vividly remembers sitting back down, and he opened up that Bible uh, together, and his wife looked and burst into tears, and the kids went, Cool. And just in that moment, their lives changed. God was telling them to go. And sometimes, folks, God does that. Sometimes God gets a hold of us and he says, you know what? I've got somewhere for you to go. 
and, uh, and, and maybe it is Africa or Central America or, or maybe it's just like the wilds of rural Minnesota or something like that. But sometimes God actually calls us to pick up and leave where we're at and go serve him somewhere else. But more often than not, that's not the case. In fact, if we go back to that passage from Matthew that we normally translate, go make disciples, literally, in the original language, it doesn't say, go make disciples. It's not a verb. It's not an imperative, if you teach English. It's actually a word that would be better translated, as you go. In other words, what Jesus was saying to the disciples is not, pack your bags, I got a trip for you to go on. By the way, a lot of them ended up doing that at one point in their lives. But, but literally what he was saying to them is, as you go about your daily life, as you go the places that you're already planning to go, he says, I have a mission for you while you're going about your daily life, and that is that you should see every day of your daily life as a chance to share the good news, as a chance to make disciples, as a chance to be my witnesses, Jesus said. So I want you to think about that this morning. God is calling you to be a missionary, but, but probably not to Africa or Central America. God is calling you to be a missionary to wherever you were already planning to go this week or this afternoon. And that may be the coffee shop that you hang out at, or uh, that may be where you go to work, or that may be the neighborhood that you live in, or that may be uh, the, the family, the people from your family, your extended family you're going to hang around with later on today. Wh whatever that is, wherever you go, Jesus is saying, you don't just go to those places. He's saying, you go as my witness. You go as a disciple maker. God has a mission for us, and we live that mission out not just at that point in our life when we go on a missionary journey. He's literally saying we live it out every day. So the where that you and I are supposed to go is pretty simple. It's wherever you were going to go anyway. But what about the how? I think a lot of us, when we think about sharing the good news about Jesus, we have pictures in our minds kind of like these. You know, the guy that stands on the corner with the bullhorn, you know, repent because Jesus is coming and you're going to be in trouble when he does, you know, that kind of guy. Um, by the way, um, my wife and I used to live here in this neighborhood. We lived on Mulligan Avenue, not that far over here. Uh, and uh, this was many, many years ago. This was back in the 80s. And there literally was a guy that used to stand at the corner of North Avenue and uh, Harlem with a bullhorn every Sunday morning. You know, the corner that used to be the Sears store and now it's, now it's empty. He used to stand on that corner. Same guy uh, every week with the bullhorn. And, uh, and this was right after I'd become a pastor um, at one point. And I actually used to still wear one of those clerical collars. And I was in my car and he saw me and he made a beeline for me with the bullhorn. He practically like, stuck it in the passenger window. I, I think like he thought that because I was wearing a collar, I was like worse than everybody else or something like that. And maybe that's true. I don't know, but, uh, but that's what we think about a lot, isn't it? When we think about actually sharing our faith, when we think about how it is we are supposed to go be missionaries, we, we think about that, or we think about, you know, the Mormons that come and knock on your door, right? Um, uh, the ones that when I see them knocking at my door, I hide so they don't know I'm home, right? But folks, that's not the way we're supposed to be sharing our faith. 
Not at all. In fact, um, in another place, um, Peter, one of Jesus' apostles, one of those people that Jesus told to go make disciples, put it this way. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Folks, this is what evangelism is all about. Now, now first of all, notice what it says. It, It says we're supposed to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Now, that implies something, doesn't it? It implies that people will be able to notice the hope that we have, right? It, it, it's, the scenario here is that, that you're sitting around and somebody comes up to you and says, you know, no matter what's going on, you always seem hopeful. Why, why is that? What's going on in your life? What's different that makes you like that? So that leads to kind of a hard question, I think, for me, and maybe it is for you. And I ask myself this question a lot. How is my life, my daily life, different because of Jesus? Is it really? You guys uh, know who um, uh, Lee Strobel is? Lee Strobel uh, is a a famous Christian author, another famous Christian author. I guess I'm talking about Christian authors this morning. But uh, uh, Lee used to be an atheist, first of all. He was not a believer in God, and he was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And uh, his wife actually had become a believer, and it was getting annoying. She was really bugging him about this whole faith in Jesus thing. So he finally decided he was going to use his investigative reporter skills uh, to prove to her that this whole God thing was ridiculous. And the more he studied uh, the evidence uh, for the biblical accounts of Jesus and who he is and what he did, the more he came to realize, oh my gosh, this stuff's true. And, and, and finally one day, he told his wife, you can stop bugging me. I believe. I, I believe that Jesus is real and that he really was the son of God. And I believe he really did rise from the dead. So, so the next Monday morning, he decided that his buddies at the Tribune needed to hear that. So he gathered them all around the water cooler and he told them, I've become a Christian. And they were surprised because he had been a pretty strident objector to Christianity. And, uh, and he said, no, I'm serious. I've become a Christian. And, uh, and, and then he goes back to his desk, and he's sitting by his desk working. And one of his coworkers comes over about an hour later. He's like, hey, Lee, I'm a Christian too. And Lee Strauss said, the first thing he thought was, how come I didn't know that? I mean, seriously, he said he thought about it, and he's like, this guy was just the same as everybody else. And he thought, shouldn't being a Christian make you different? It should, shouldn't it? So here's my question for you. How is your life different because of Jesus? Do you have a different sense of hope in your life because you know how the story ends? Do you have a a, a joy, a peace that passes all understanding, as the Bible puts it? that helps you get through tough times in your life because you know that God is with you. That he's, as far as the east is from the west, removed our transgressions from us like we just confessed in the psalm. You know you you have a God that loves you. And because of that, you have a story. Did you ever think about that? You have a story to tell about the difference that God has made in your life. And maybe you've never thought about it. Maybe uh, you've never told it to anybody. But you have a story to tell. God's love and God's grace has made a difference in your life. And when, if you sit down and you think about it, you're going to realize that you've got a story to tell. 
And we need to be ready to share that story. Look at that passage again from 1 Peter. He says, always be prepared. That implies that you've thought through your story and you know how you're going to share it and you know how you're going to tell people about what God has done in your life. He says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. But then look at the end of this. And folks, here's where I think we as Christians mess up so many times. He says, when we do that, when we share the difference that Jesus has made in our lives, when we talk about the impact of God's love and God's grace in our lives, when we share that with others, we need to do it with two things, he says. What are they? Gentleness and respect. You know, when you ask people who are non-believers about Christians, you know what one of the number one words that people use is? Judgmental. It's not gentleness and respect, is it? Folks, we've all messed up, right? We, we have. We, we all have sin and struggle in our lives. We've all got the stuff in our lives that, that's, that's just a mess. And the only reason we have a story to tell is because Jesus has come into our lives and he's made a difference with his love and with his grace. And that's the story. The story isn't look what I did. The story is look what Jesus did for me. And we share that story. We share it with gentleness and we share it with respect but here's the last one for you. Why? I mean, really, why should we do that? Why do we need to do that? I mean, God is God, right? And he can do anything. Does God really need you and me to accomplish his work in this world? Now, whenever we ask a question like, does God really need, we can always get in trouble, right? Because obviously God doesn't need anything, or does he? Here's another interesting passage for you. Uh, this is in Romans. Paul wrote these words. He, he, was, he was talking about how God is just waiting to help anyone who is in need or in trouble. And then he said this. He said, but before people can ask the Lord for help, they have to believe in him, right? You're not going to ask somebody for help if you don't believe he's there and he's real and he can help you. And he says, and, and before they can believe in him, they have to hear about him. And for them to hear about the Lord, someone has to tell them. Folks, here's an amazing thing. I don't know why God did this. If, it, if he had consulted with me first, I would have said, God, you, you can come up with a better plan than that. I would have. But, but for some reason, God decided that his mission in this world was going to be tied to you and me. That he was going to tie the effectiveness of his work in this world to us. It says this not just here in Romans, in Romans 10, but later on in Romans it says this. It says, it says that, no, actually this is in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 16. God says this. He says, as each part does its own unique work, he makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you hear that? God's the one that makes the body grow and be full of love as each one of us do our own unique work. Each one of us. God has a plan to use each and every one of us as a part of his mission. And as a result, what that means is if we do what God is calling us to do, heaven is going to be a bigger place. Think about that for a minute. Through you, God is going to make heaven a bigger place. 
I have this fantasy, you know, I picture it, that someday in heaven, somebody's going to walk up to me, and they're going to go, now, Mark, I know that the only reason I'm here is because of Jesus. I know Jesus gave his life for me. He's the one that forgave my sin. He's the one that conquered sin and death for me. But, but I just got to thank you because God used you to help me understand that and get me here. Can you think of anything more cool than that? To have someone come up to you and say, yeah, I'm here because of Jesus, but, but he used you. Folks, the, the biggest why of all on why we go, why we seek to share our faith, why we seek to tell our story, why we, we seek to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have is so that people can be in heaven with us. It's just that simple. The, the fact is, if Jesus came today, we all know people that are far from God that don't know Jesus and wouldn't be going to heaven with us. We do. But God wants to make that change. And he wants to make that change through us. But you know what? There's even more than that. It's not just about getting people to heaven. It's also about helping them have that same hope that we have right here and right now. I mean, I hope before when I ask you, how's your life different because of Jesus, you could think of some things. You, you could think of some ways that, that Jesus has made a difference in your life. Maybe it was a struggle that you got through, and the re reason you got through it was because you had him to cling to, his word to cling to. You had his family gathered around you to help you through. Or, or, or maybe it's just as simple as that there's some stuff in your life that you've been able to overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit helping you overcome those things. But whatever it is, the difference that Jesus has made in your life, he can make in others' lives as well. Because Jesus is the answer. He really is. When, uh, I got one last story for you. When I was uh, uh, getting ready to go to seminary, I was teaching in a Lutheran school up on the north side of Chicago. Um, and one of the things that you have to do if you're going to go to seminary is you have to learn Greek. Now, you can wait and you can learn Greek uh, at the seminary it, they call it summer Greek camp, and that just sounded like hell to me, you know, spending my summer in a classroom learning Greek. So what, I've, what I discovered is Moody Bible Institute here in, uh, in Chicago had a Greek class on Tuesday and Thursday nights. And so even though I was still teaching during the day, and Tuesday and Thursday evenings, um, I'd go down to Moody, and, uh, and I took my Greek there. Um, now, one of the things about Greek at Moody was that it started at 6 and went till about 9.15, um, and uh, there was a 15-minute time in the middle of every class where we had chapel, where we, we went to chapel. And, uh, um, and, and so they had different speakers all the time. I'll never forget. Some, some really great speakers, some not-so-great speakers. One night, there was this one Baptist pastor, and, and he, was, he was going, and we were like, man, this chapel's supposed to be 15 minutes. And, and, and at one point, he took his coat off, and he said, you know what it means when I take my coat off? We got another 30 minutes to go, folks. And anyway, but, uh, but, but the, 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 I want to tell you this story about um, the one night, they had a guy there who was 83 years old, and he had been a missionary in Africa and a few other places. In fact, he had spent most of his life as a foreign missionary. Um, and he told us the story about when he was 21 years old, um, he and three of his friends went to see this traveling evangelist, and they went for one reason. It was to pick up girls. They figured there might be some girls there. So, um, but while he was there, that, that night, he came to faith. And he said that night, he started praying 
for his three friends, that they would come to know Jesus the way he did. And, and he said, one of them, it took about three weeks, but, but after telling him the difference that he had already seen Jesus making in his life and talking about how, how important he thought it was that this guy would come to know Jesus, he said, it took about three weeks, but one of my buddies, he gave his heart to Jesus too. And that's the way he put it. He gave his heart to Jesus. And then he said, the, the, the second friend of mine, uh, I kept praying for him every day, and he said it took about six years, but, but about six years later, when, when he was 27 years old, finally, he gave his life to Jesus too. And then he said this, and I will never forget it. Now remember, this guy's like 83 years old. This happened back when he was 21, that he had started praying every day for his three friends. And he looked at us and he said, and I'm still praying for my other friend. And just the way he said it. Now, he'd been praying for that friend, think about it, do the math, for over 60 years. I would have given up about 20 years in. I went, okay, well, that's, that's never going to happen, right? But just the way he said it was, he believed that Jesus was still going to use him to make a difference in that friend's life. 60 years later. Folks, the, the, the reason I tell you that story is sometimes we can feel a, a sense of guilt or fear when we take on this mission of going with the good news, ultimately it's in God's hands. And ultimately his spirit is gonna be at work in the lives of those around us. But we just get to go. We get to go with the good news wherever we go and share that good news and know that Jesus can and will use us to make an eternal difference in people's lives. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm so thankful, first of all, that. Jesus, you reached out and you grabbed a hold of me and you made me your child. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you were willing to go, to go here to this earth and, and to, to bring love and grace and hope and peace and joy to conquer sin and death for me. And Lord, now I pray that, that as the Father sent you, you would send me, just like you said you would, that as I go each day, wherever that is I go, that you would use me, that, that your hope and your joy and your peace would live in me so that people see something different. And that I would be ready in those moments when someone says, Mark, well, why do you seem to not be shaken by this? Or, or where, where do you get your joy from? That I'd be able to point people to you. Lord, thank you for that gift. Thank you for making me part of the work that you do. Thank you for telling me to go. In your name we pray. Amen.